Good afternoon, budding new musicians. Well, this is Music Business 101, so it's good that you guys are starting early. Uh, my name is Amy Crook. I have a background in business, uh, and for the last year I've been working in the music space, work with uh, Jazz Club, The Jazz Kitchen, I've worked with Indie Jazz Fest, I managed the band Clint Breeze in the Groove. In preparing for today's events, pulled together a, a, a nice eclectic group of panelists, so maybe what we could do is just if everyone wanted to take a moment to introduce themselves, and I thought an interesting question might be uh, to maybe share with us what music you listened to when you were growing up at home. Like, what did your parents play when you were growing up? Um, my name is Joshua Powell. I front a psychedelic indie rock and roll band here in town. It's formerly known as Joshua Powell and the Great Train Robbery. Recently, just more eponymous, a little simpler, more concise. In addition to that, I am on the adjunct faculty at Anderson University, teaching classes in songwriting, music entrepreneurship, and concert touring. And then I also teach music to children at the School of Rock and Fishers, which is a really, really awesome way to get to still be playing guitar and making, making a living. But the mentoring is amazing, and it's really, really cool to make as much as we make teaching kids how to play Black Sabbath. So that's great. I grew up in a, a very conservative home, so there was, a lot of, there was a lot of Christian music, but my parents uh, had excellent taste on the, on the back burner where they would play the Beatles and... Uh, and James Taylor and Carol King and Earth, Wind and Fire. So, my name is Brandon Meeks. Let's see, I'm a member of the band Native Son, hip hop band here in town with uh, Richard Sleepy Floyd and Bobby Young. I'm also a music entrepreneur, so I have an online business that I promote my music and and also like music education. I'm an adjunct professor at University of Indianapolis and an all around nice guy. <laughs> No, uh, as far as growing up, uh, let's see, like, in my household, my mom, she was, like, really religious, so I heard, like, tons of gospel music. I was in church, like, three or four times a week, and then uh, my dad was, like, I guess you can consider him a street cat, kind of, <laughs> so, uh, so he was more into, like, B.B. King and James Brown, so I was exposed to that. Then I had a brother. He was, he was a teenager when I was born, but he was, like, really popular in the neighborhood as a DJ, and he would throw, like, these huge block parties. So that, that exposed me to, to like, like funk and hip-hop, like, in the early 80s, mid-80s. And I have another brother who's a guitar player, so that, that kind of exposed me to, like, live music and, and actually playing instruments, you know. You had a cool family. <laughs> um, my name is Lex Nicole. I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio. In Cincinnati, I am a culture curator. So that means for me, I get to work with like other organizations and um, platforms and, and just really cool people and influencers to kind of like leverage entertainment as a way to promote for social and economic issues. But it also means I get to work on my own projects and kind of create these visions. So for me, that has me working hand in hand with so many musicians, creatives, poets, dancers, etc. So we really just try to like create these impactful experiences and just try to make them meaningfully different and kind of, you know, exposing, you know, our city's artistry. Um, so yeah, but growing up in my household, um, we listened to a lot of like Michael Jackson when we were growing up, specifically like when we're cleaning the house like every Saturday morning, Sunday morning, it's like Michael Jackson. We did a lot of like Lauren Hill. We did a lot of Jill Scott and Mary J. Blige. I know every single album off of Mary J. Blige, so yeah. I'm Monica Hersick, and I am jazz pianist by trade. I lead all kinds of different groups. 
and am a full-time faculty at IU Bloomington in uh, arts administration and teach um, music industry and arts entrepreneurship and programming classes. And I also just, I, I have a project of all female New York musicians and we just got back from a three-week tour of Europe and Egypt and that was pretty mind-boggling. <laughs> I'm an author, I wrote books on David Baker and Chikoria, and I have five million CDs and <laughs> all that. And um, my parents, I grew up in Germany and my parents really didn't listen much to music. That I found my own thing. I guess that's why I had to buy one way ticket to get to somewhere else. <laughs> So, in being familiar with almost everybody's work here on the panel, I had to take a moment and was like, okay, read the description again. This is Music Business 101. Uh, the idea is, hey, what to learn when we're starting out. So, what kind of first came to my mind, and I've heard it when I've listened to other panels, is like, well, are you good? You know, is someone besides your parents and friends coming out to support you? So, once you find that one person that you didn't know that's found your work or been attracted to your work, Learn about them. What you know? Tell what you can what you can find out about them. Uh, my background is marketing, so maybe why I think that train. Uh, is there anything? And just kind of remembering what the theme of our our topic is, like something that maybe either comes to mind that you've heard before or that you experienced, just like hey, just starting out in those very early ages. Or if there's a hey, you knew you're gonna be a professional musician. You know, anything that's inspired by the topic, I guess you can say. I have two ideas. They're principles, though. It's less, less of a practical thing and more of an overarching ideology to apply, <clears throat> which is one is that the music business is unlike any other, and it's not static, it's dynamic, and it's changing every week, and you really have to have your thumb on the pulse to understand the way that it evolves if you want to be a part of what's happening in a meaningful way. But it's also super trial and error. At least that's been my experience of, of running a small running a small business, I mean having a band, is that we'll put all our eggs in a basket at some point and see how that basket holds up. And and then uh, so there's there's an element where you have to get your hands dirty and be willing to take a lot of initiative and be willing to try things even if you're not all the way good yet, even if you're not polished, just getting out and beginning to do the work because we in my my bio like one of the things we always tell it's like we've played over 800 shows in the last five years i'll tell you what they weren't all good especially not at the beginning if you see us now we're amazing we're very good and um it's because we played 800 shows you know so it takes that time and it takes that that trial and error and then like forgiving yourself when you make the mistakes figure out which direction to take next but then the other the other hand of that is i i think that anyone uh whether it's your music craft or, or anything that you're trying to pioneer or build is that you really have to squelch any sense of entitlement that you have. Because, of course, you think you're good. If you didn't think you're good, then you wouldn't be given your life to try and prove it to everybody else or to find that market of the people that also think you're good. The music business is, I mean, with, with digitalization of everything, you know, it's the most, it's the most, it's this huge cultural glut with anyone with a laptop can have a music career out of their bedroom. Um, so you have to remind yourself all the time that people don't owe you their support or their their dollars for your records. I ha I'm a I believe that it takes an average of 10 years for you to break through. If you start something and you really you give yourself to it wholeheartedly, a decade later maybe you'll it'll be your sole income stream. But in the meantime, you look at the album credits of Bon Iver's first record, which is in 2009 and then became a smash success. 
And in the liner notes, he says, thanks to everyone who came out to the last 15 years worth of shows. Mm -hmm. That's the first time anyone knew his name. And now he's like, you know, one of the top 15 artists on iTunes or Spotify. But it took him 10 years before anybody gave a crap about it. So, yeah, I feel like to to add on to what he said, though, as well. And it's just like I feel like so many people, even like my family members will be like, hey, like, I know that you work with musicians. Like, will you look at my album or will you listen to this song or will you do this? Will you do that? And, you know, and I always give someone the time of the day. I would never not hear someone out. But, you know, like it's like what are you doing to separate yourself? Like, how are you like? practicing that's as a craft and not a hobby you know and I think that a lot of people want to take that step further into turning this into a career but just don't know how or sometimes don't even have the resources or you know the access to to those platforms you know uh so like even in Cincinnati when I've done like my poetry shows or you know like performances my jazz shows like some people have never performed even outside of CCM you know which is like the number one like music program in Cincinnati and so no one's even ever paid some of these students you know so it's like how do students even go and get these career values and and core skill sets so it's like sometimes it's just a matter of just like putting yourself out there and like consistently putting yourself out there, like 800 shows, <laughs> so. <laughs> I think it's, um, it's also very important starting out to like, as, as early on as possible, have like a sense of like a tangible goal that you wanna achieve. Because dealing with like music and business, like uh, most of us on the music side, we're very creative minded and we kind of see things in a kind of sunshine and rainbows and unicorns kind of way. and the more logical, analytical side of, of business. Sometimes we don't uh, naturally incline toward that. So, but, but when you're gonna try to pursue music as, as a career and you have business objectives, you have to try to like hone, rein yourself in and, and think in terms of like tangible goals. Like when I started out, like I just knew like I wanted to be like good at playing bass and I wanted, and I wanted my band to, to like do a lot of shows and I wanted us to be better than everybody else. And those things aren't really measurable. Like, yeah, you being good on bass is very subjective. Like I might feel like I'm great, somebody else might feel like I suck, somebody else might feel like I'm the greatest bass player ever. Having my band be awesome, like that's, that's very subjective, we can't measure that. But you can measure things like, okay, I wanna do an album but I needed to sell a thousand units and then I want to take that money and invest it this way so I can produce such and such tangible result. So just early as early on as possible, of course we all go through that phase where we just we just have all this creative passion and we just want to express it. But then as you realize that you want to do this for business, it's important to, to, to kind of rein yourself in and think of tangible goals and objectives. No, I'm, I have to put in some of the realities of <laughs> of that life. Um, you know, every artist career has an arc. You know, you start out, you get little by little more, maybe get a little further. Hopefully, ideally, there's this superstar top, and then some will navigate the bottom down. So somehow, it's always an arc. And the reality is that 90% of all musicians out there, 90% will not get beyond the first stage. And that's just what is. Which, 
it doesn't mean you know it's it's a really bad thing or to tell somebody not to do it 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 just means whatever you're offering you know if if you want to get beyond those you realize how hard the competition is it's got to be something really special really unique or really important or realizing there's nothing wrong with being a favorite in a local regional market and and fulfilling your dream you should not be discouraged but but that's the reality and that that's that's what you're looking at and there's ways of of building that business and yes it can take 10 years of <laughs> investing in it or more but it should be done in a very deliberate way you know if if there's if this is really all your passion all you can think of and you so strongly believe that this is something very important then then go for it but otherwise just enjoy <laughs> and then it sounds to me like there's also um musicians that I work with and musicians here on the panel like this, you've got your pursuing your creative work where you own it all and then it's like finding a couple of their side gigs that maybe complement and still support your passion for music, whether it's teaching kids or taking advantage of the internet, <laughs> whether that be through streaming. So, and, and, and I don't know that I necessarily have a formalized question, but I think what's interesting about Joshua, I noticed in your bio, like, Hey, you've 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 found uh, some traction even getting on Spotify playlists. Uh, Brandon, uh, you've gotten a lot of traction and honing in on your audience with kind of online. If maybe each of you could speak about your experience on kind of the business of promoting your your work online, what you've learned for anybody starting out and considering, yeah, the path that you guys have been on. There, you get ca caught in a faulty dichotomy sometimes when you're thinking about the art because music is usually consumed in only one of two mediums you have recordings and then you have performances and it's for the only the only two ways that people can digest songs but when you start to uh, approach the entrepreneurial element of run, of trying to promote music it's the it's the least bifurcated thing of all time it explodes out in every direction and so as I mentioned earlier, like with the dynamism of, of the industry, you look at Spotify playlists and like who was talking about that even five years ago, much less 10 years ago. And now you look at, when you're trying to gauge how successful a band is, there's not like one universal metric where you can go, oh look, they have 10,000 likes on Facebook or oh look, they have you know a million streams on Spotify because some, somebody might just have one or the other. And so you're reaching different segments with that but by the longer you're in it, the more avenues that you recognize where you go, oh, look at this band that we know has started to monetize by sync licensing. And so maybe that's a, an avenue that we need to pursue. And having conversations with your colleagues and, and keeping, a, keeping a sharp eye on the people that are doing what you're doing or slightly ahead of you. Whereas, like, there's a certain level of, of super stardom where it's like you're not you're not going to be able to access that person's knowledge base or whatever, even if you're trying to emulate their career path. But when there's somebody that's you know just a year or two, one one festival bill ahead of you or whatever, those people are still very often like approachable, and so um, it's tough to manage. As as Brandon was saying, we're kind of abstract people, right-brained people most of the time, and it's I don't get really passionate about administrative clerical database work. 
but databasing everything from our radio contacts to our licensing connections to small batch press in Midwestern cities and keeping careful track of all those things. And then every time we realize, oh, we haven't been pressing into college radio, then it, you add another part to the database and you start building that up and you really have to, like I said, explode in every direction where you're looking for how are other people progressing their cause and what can I learn from that? My experience with um, like promoting my, myself as a brand online, I found like the an effective way to do that is to really in, engage in a lot of self-reflection and just really seeing like what type of artist you are and, and really being able, and like a lot of times as, as creative people, we hate to label ourselves and we look at it like, oh, I'm just, you know, I don't, I'm part of this and I'm part of that and I don't really want to be in a box. But it's, it's, there's, there's really uh, some critical value in being able to put yourself in a box and label yourself for the purpose of knowing how to present yourself to, to like-minded people. So, you know, so in, for anyone that's, that, that wants to approach like the online world and, and reaching masses of people that way, it really takes a lot of time just really identifying like what it is that you're doing and identifying, like you were saying, like just other artists in within your community and in, in, in sphere that are just a little bit further ahead of you, but maybe in the same ballpark, just identifying all those things in, in, in ways that you can, can mark yourself. Okay. This, this is, this is who and what I am. And now who else is, is like me And and you'll find that, that whatever you, whatever conclusion you come to, there's going to be like enclaves of people that, that are kind of on the same wavelength as, as far as like what they like, what they're into. And then you start, once you can kind of like see what that looks like and get an idea of who, what those, who and what those people are, then you can kind of say, okay, now where are they hanging out at online? Are they on Spotify? Are they on Instagram? Are they on Facebook? Like where, where, where are they hanging out? Where do I hang out? Do, where do I connect with people? And then, then you can kind of like start building bridges and building and gathering people to yourself that, that think like you, that are into the same thing. And you'll be able to find like a community where you can start really uh, promoting your music and being able to have people who are interested in, in, in anticipating what you have to offer when you present something. I think that um, to kind of piggyback off of what you said and understanding like who you are as an artist and as a brand, I've had that issue a lot where people like artists and creatives don't want to be deemed as a product. But at the end of the day, you are selling something and that's your music and you your demographic and your target audience, those are your consumers. So they're the ones who are gonna stream your music, they're the ones who are gonna follow you on Instagram, like your pages, etc. right? So when you break down even just a simple platform like Instagram and you and you you talk about the algorithms that go into that, like you as your own brand have the access and the tools that you need to know who your demographic is, what cities they're in, and what time of the day that they're looking at your information. So now that you know exactly how to and when to present your music, a lot of the things that I see some artists struggle with is knowing what type of information to give them and how to display that. And a lot of that is on the is built on strong quality content. You know, it's like, is your photo a high resolution photo? Is your bio a strong bio? Is this video done with your iPhone or your Canon? I mean, now it doesn't matter at this point because iPhones are amazing, but like that content goes 
a really long way in understanding like who you are as an artist and making sure that people take you serious. Just just for me, simply like when I've had to promote myself, you know, like is it's really just been what determines who you are like what kind of information are you really putting out there you know and then just being consistent with that you can't go to using quality photos and then one day you put up a really bad picture and it's kind of foggy no it has to be so consistent and then you also think about the consumer growth of your content like what's the strategy you know when you go to instagrams it's kind of all over the place and so like you said when you think about like how to put yourself in a box and you say in those boxes, there's five different things that I want people to know about me, and you focus in on that. It's family, fitness, care, this or that, you know, and you really make it a point to make that a part of your strategy. People will pick that up. You've got hashtags, you've got people you can tag, the companies and brands that you're wearing. People, there's so many, you know, like I, people will walk, reach out to me on Instagram, like, hey, I noticed that, you know, you posted about our brand or would you be interested in being a brand influencer and now to this day and uh, Amy and I had this conversation earlier it's like there's an artist in my city who is still what I would consider an up-and-coming emerging and developing local artist but because she was able to partner with a national campaign like PNG and get an endorsement deal by secret now you've got that to add that to your resume so it's like in this time and era it's like being able to attach your name to other names that can carry you the distance so it's interesting, music and the arts is one of the few fields where branding or advertising the brand is actually deemed as like a bad thing, especially if you're the artist. So we, we live with this notion if you create art and you have to sell it, then your art is tainted, meaning it's maybe not worth as much. <laughs> it should speak for itself, you know? And no other industry does that. It's <laughs> it's only a, a thing of the arts, and and I think you know, with especially with you guys, you can see how little by little we're starting to get over this. But it's unfortunately really, really deeply ingrained, especially in in the educational aspect of of artists. And you you know, you go to school, and that part is the one where you know you shouldn't have to touch that. Otherwise, your music is not good enough. It should just be so good. You Everybody, everybody should know, but <laughs> but that's not how it works. So so that's a the thing to overcome, and then the other thing you know, wonderful with the online relationships, personal relationships is is still amazing to groom, and even with a superstar, you know, like Lady Gaga or Taylor Swift, they all have these one percenters, one percent of their fan community that's absolutely totally dedicated to them and you know whatever they put out and another uber set they're going to get it and they're going to buy it and they're going to be <laughs> and and the way this new economy works is that everybody has to groom these these one percenters around them this is where you're going to live what will you will live from and then from there it goes out to the more occasional but to find a way to 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 groom this community that's absolutely dedicated and, and loves what you do i mean beyond just the social networking uh, having a mailing list and having a newsletter where you personally put out content all the time about what you do and and people are love hearing it i think we should put that in the mix and add that to to all the branding well one thing that's helped me with like the misconception that marketing and promoting yourself and advertising has like 
some kind of evil connotation when you apply it to music is uh, I started looking at it as, okay, well, marketing is the way that I bridge the gap between my art and the people who are actually like searching for it and can't find me. So uh, we look at it that way, like, okay, people are actually, they're, they're looking for something that your music offers. And if you, if you choose not to market yourself, you just leave it to chance for it to just go out into the ether and just magically find people, it probably never will, but you owe it to the people that are looking for what you have to offer to, to market your, your, your music and promote it in such, in such a way as it makes that connection. I love what you said about like artists don't like to put themselves in boxes because I can't tell you any time I meet somebody and haven't heard their band yet where I'm like, oh, what's your band sound like? They're like, oh, we don't sound like anybody else. Yeah. <laughs> and and we all want to believe that, right? But yeah, you do. Like every band sounds like right. another That's band right. somehow. And it's important to be able to recognize that because you do want to be able to learn from the other people who are doing that better. But like when we put out, we just did this radio campaign with all these uh, non-commercial and college radio stations where I made a sticker that had the R-I-Y-L tag, right? Mm -hmm. The recommended if you like. And it picked those bands with a lot of intentionality. And I, so I was like, Noah Gunderson, who I don't especially like or admire, but I get compared to a lot sometimes. And so it's like, okay, cool. If people like him, maybe they'll like me. Yeah. And then you pick a broad swath one like Neil Young, where it's like, well, it's not quite like Neil Young, but to a person at a bar, right. it's like, what's your band like? That's like Neil Young and Pink Floyd. You know, it's like, not really, but uh, anyone can kind of go, oh, I can put that together. And then I'll throw one more obscure one on there, like Porches or something, where it's like, there's other elements of this one. And not as many people are going to know who, what Porches is, but people who know Porches, when they see that, they're going to be like, oh, shit, i got to listen to this, yeah. right? And so I think that was, that was really intuitive yeah. of you there. Well, it's, like it's, it's important to be able to, to identify, like, of course, like your, your genre, like, which is like just the, the broadest yeah. genre that you fit into. So like my band Native Son, we're hip-hop. But then you want to be able to identify your sub-genre and then your, your niche and then your micro-niche. And then, so when you work it all the way down to uh, like your micro niche, that, that's gonna be like artists that only like the hardcore people that live and breathe that particular thing are looking for. So if I start talking to people like in my uh, just marketing activities about like somebody like MF Doom, okay, like, you know, like hardcore hip hop heads are gonna know MF Doom. Like, so like those are gonna be the people that are gonna be like most geeked out and excited about Native Son because they, they just want to be the first ones up on it, you know, mm -hmm. as opposed to like, okay, like if I'm just looking to identif uh, identify my brand by like, say like Jay-Z, like everybody, wh they, whether they like are, are hardcore hip hop fans or just somebody that just watches TV regularly, they, they're going to know Jay-Z. So it, that pool of people is going to be so large that you're not going to have like those diehard fans like Monica was saying, and it's going to be harder to identify those people in such a large pool, but you do want to be able to kind of just identify like your, your, your general genre and then be able to just kind of whittle it all the way down to like the tightest little niche that you can think of. And that's where the people that are, that are in that circle are going to be those people that like, oh my God, I love everything that you do and I want to go out and get it. Like if you can kind of really hone yourself in and identify people that you sound like in that micro niche, even though you're, you're not going to be exactly like them, but you do have to admit that, that there's similarities, it, when you can do that, you, you, you can really connect with, with people that are like just hardcore into what you do. Can you all identify your own micro niche? I love that terminology. Can you say like, oh, this is exactly. We, we had, and we still have, and you know, I have this fusion band, it used to be called like way back Beeble Brox, and we revived it, the time flies. And you know, it's just really 
outrageous fusion. So <laughs> my favorite slogan for it is just jazz that rocks. <laughs> yeah, my, my uh, band is more like alternative hip hop and within that we're, we're kind of like more on the lo-fi side. Yeah. yeah, well, because, like, I'm not a musician and, like, I work with musicians, like, um, I'm trying to think of, like, a, like, a clever or, like, someone that I could compare myself to, but I guess, like, let me come back to it. It's going to come to me in the middle of this conversation. I'm going to have to cut somebody off and be like, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to come back to it. I've never thought about that. I've never even come across that term, so now I have to really think about that, it. That should be the exercise for everybody in the room right now. Find a slogan to define you and we'll point eventually at somebody yeah, of you and, <laughs> and then hear it. But think about it, what you would say. I always say that ours is uh, stoner jams for English majors. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one, too. All right, so I've got uh, maybe one more question and then we'll kind of open it up for anybody in the audience that has questions. And back to thinking about uh, an artist starting out. So I'm imagining this, this artist is still honing on their craft, rehearsing, writing new music, doing local gigs. Now, I don't think, or I think we all know that it takes a team of people to make something happen. So I'm kind of curious through you guys' experiences, how you've thought of maybe either kind of the internal reflection, which we talked about a little bit, like, hey, knowing yourself, maybe knowing what you're good at, not good at, who were the first people that you kind of had around you to help you get to the next level or be, you know, either, you know, in that way, whether it be motivation or actually providing a service? I'm gonna, I'm gonna attack this from the side. I think that teams are overrated and that you probably won't have one that you can trust for a long time. I play under my own name, and for a long time I dreamt of being in a band because of the collaborative elements of it. And today, uh, eight years after starting that project, I do have a band, and I do trust them, and they do collaborate with me. But I can't tell you how many wonderful artists I know personally and have spoken with who are at sort of just a stagnant place in their development where, I mean, there's a ton of wonderful mm -hmm. artists and bands in Indianapolis. I love this city, like the scene is amazing. But I only know fewer than a dozen who ever play out of town or whoever are, you know, actively trying to build in other market segments in the Midwest, much less the nation. And I'll talk to somebody and, and say, like, well, why aren't you booking shows or why aren't you like d creating your networking database? And they're often like, well, you know, I'm, I can't, I'm not, that's, I'm not good at that. I'm like, I don't care. Like, get good at it, learn it, study it, because no one is gonna come along and do this work for you and no one's going to believe in you until you've believed in yourself. And once you've proven that you have the chops and once you've gone out there and done a bad job several times and then learned from it and then started to, to learn how to do a good job, for, for most of this band's uh, just existence, I've been the sole driver when that's booking every show, doing all the digital marketing, doing all of the designs, doing all of the overseeing of the recording. And it's like, is it fun and no like am I a control freak probably but the fact that I knew that the success of this endeavor was going to be on my shoulders has always meant that that's good if it's successful you can take some credit for it and if it's not more importantly if it's not then you know that's on you and I think that when you start to bring in the first people that you can really really trust is when you find the spiritual kinship with 
the people who can take your art further than you. I recently, like I said, concretized our band. And part of that was recognizing my own limits as an instrumentalist, where I was like, why the hell would I want to like have the ego trip of playing guitar on this record when Adam Shuntich, who plays with me, is like four times the guitar player I am? I was like, okay, well, let's serve the song. And that's when, that's when for me, the beginning to develop the team made a lot of sense. And then the other time I think it makes a lot of sense to build your team is when there's somebody who is willing to take a risk on you. Like we are part of a, uh, a group. Um, we have an agent in Los Angeles who does our, our TV and, and film sync licensing. That's something that I hadn't learned about yet. Didn't build my own knowledge base, but we're fortunate enough to have that connection early on. And that's one thing where it's like, you know what? I, I could learn how to pitch supervisors. I could send all those emails out, but I don't have the the cred in that industry. And so when when we realized this is someone who can do something for us that no matter how hard we tried, we couldn't learn to do it ourselves because there's there's gates in that and there's there's a threshold of of uh, you have to have worked for Warner Brothers or whatever else. That's when we thought, you know, sure we could bring on a manager, sure we could bring on somebody else. But will they believe in us as hard as we believe in us? And how much of our money are they going to take? Whereas when we signed with the, the sync agency, it's a boutique startup. So our successes are her successes and vice versa. We're growing together. She has never charged us anything on the front or monthly. It's like she gets a 25% commission when we get something in, in film. So it's like, you want $5,000 to be on this crappy sitcom on ABC that's already been canceled? I'm like, hell yeah, sign me up. It's like you said earlier, you know, it's like somehow does that does that bastardize the craft or dilute it down? Not to me. No one's going to see that show. I'm going to take that money and put it back into the band. Um, so it's it's a really tricky question with the team. And, and you're absolutely right. So for for us, I, I do have management, but the uh, there's any team member has to make a living. And the only way they can make a living is from a cut, from a percentage, from a piece of the pie. So there has to be a pie <laughs> to share, <laughs> and something to share. <laughs> zero, 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 and, and nobody can eat from that. So in order to grow that pie, every, you have to be the driver in it. You have to be the cook and put that pie together and put the ingredients in and and serve it and there is never a, a well one day when i have this person or this person doing this it will be so much better if you have to say that then there's a problem that that never happens even if you have management or sync license or anybody else you will be the driver of saying this needs to get done we're looking at this we're looking at this nobody's going to take that over and nobody knows better than yourself about the art you're doing and if you give that in anybody else's hands it doesn't work <laughs> not quite and and just realizing you know the more you know and the more you tried and the more you did yourself and and even the the, the big the biggest issue, I think, is always that, oh, if I just had a booking agent, if I just had that. A booking agent takes 15 to 20%, and that's just reality. And every time you give that up, it makes it even harder. 
So f I think that's actually one of the last segments in the whole pie. The most important thing is to create a vision and to have goals to work towards and then figure out how to delegate each task. Then you can just find the best people to do what you need to get done. So I've been like on both ends of the spectrum. So I've been the the curator you know i've been the person who needs a production assistant a pr an executive producer so like for me i've and i've also been in a position where i didn't have any of those and i had to wear all the hats and be the host and work the door and and put out put out the layouts put down the chairs and put out the tables so like coming from not having a team and then actually having a team it changes so much you know from the production side of things like when it comes to making sure artists like these guys get what they need in order you know to make them sound the best that they can but you know but I've also been the booking agent I've also been the manager of artists and I know how hard it goes into not only building a relationship with the artists that you're working with but maintaining that consistency being like bonding and then just building out the trust you know and then and then trying to figure out like you know sometimes maybe your artist just isn't you know, can they get that many gigs as they want? You know, sometimes people are, are overly ambitious. But I've also like known uh, some artists, like a really good friend of mine is signed to Interscope in Los Angeles. And he has an amazing artist deal. Financials are there. And he's like, I just don't have the team that I need. You know, like I have an A&R who's trying to be my manager, but it's just not getting me where I need to go. Like I'm not gigging as much. My Spotify listeners are all the way through the roof. He had the number one album on the number one album on Apple Music for like I think two weeks in a row. So it's like, you know, the physical equivalent to the hard work that he's putting in is there. The results are shown. But even still, someone who's in such a high place doesn't have the team that he needs, you know? So it, it definitely goes hand in hand. It's like, are they overrated? Yes. But like, are they necessary? Absolutely. Because your talent times, like my hustle, you know, makes it go that much more further. But you are right, though, Josh. Like, you do have to have people that you can trust. And there's not a lot of people out in the industry. <laughs> at all <laughs> like it's like you know you're kind of walking in a blind you know walking in a room like a dark room so it's yeah it's it's tr it's a tough situation the industry is that tricky though it's that serious too though your artistry is that serious really curious to see what you would say but i wanted to chime in real well, quick there sure. before because um I think one of the absolute coolest things about music versus any other industry is that this is a job where you work with the people that you want to hang out with. That's pretty much it. <coughs> My friend Andrew Camp always said, never underestimate the power of a good hang. Because, you know, there's other, there's other producers that are closer, but, like, I'm never going to stop having my records produced by Jonathan Class because he was my, you know, he made, the first record he produced was the first record I wrote in college. He's been with me since day one. I know, I know him all the way to the core, and it's like, well, we could go work with somebody who has more cred or a nicer studio or whatever, but I want to hang out with Jonathan. He pulls out the best in me, and I trust him, and I know that he has my best interests at heart. And so when we're out there trying to figure out what bands we want to play with and stuff, we think, well, A, are they doing the work? B, are they drawing the heads? C, do we like how they sound? But D, do we want to hang out with them for a full week? And then that's usually, sometimes we'll be like, well, we're indie rock. We probably shouldn't go on tour with this heavy metal blues band, but yeah, they're so cool. I love these guys. We would have so much fun. So like we've toured with the Manus Brothers way more than we should have. Yeah, um, I think the when it comes to like teams, I think the determining factor is like the, the timing of it. In my opinion, you basically want to look to building a team like once once you've built things up to a point where you have to kind of delegate to somebody else 
Uh, and that's usually not, that's usually gonna come like years into your process. If you look at a company like Apple, like Steve Jobs didn't run out and hire all the people that, that work for Apple now, like when he first started. He started in his garage or something like that. And they built that, they built that brand up to a point where it had to be, you know, different tasks had to be delegated to other people and that, and that snowballed to what we see today. So for, for us as artists, I think like part of the, our, our temptation is like we want to we want to focus all our time on being creative and writing songs and doing shows. So like our temptation is saying, well, man, if I could just get somebody to, to, to do all this business stuff for me so I could just focus on the music, that's why I need a team. But when you approach it that way too early on, you don't really have any any value to bring to the table. So when you start reaching out to people to help you, they're really entitled to any value that they produce because you haven't really brought anything to the table. That's why you see like in the traditional music industry where artists are signing deals with these record labels and then the record, la pay, record labels pay them pennies is because the record labels have all the value to bring to the table. All the artists is just is bringing is just really their talent, but the record label is bringing all the marketing, all the business deals, all the connections with, with talent agencies. So they're entitled to that to that much value that they take from the artist. Whereas if you start out and you you learn how to book your own shows, you learn how to build relationships with bands in other cities, you learn how to how to do marketing, you learn how to do this this and that to where uh, your brand has value, then when you reach out to 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 build your team, like like Monica was saying, now you ha actually have a pie that <laughs> That, that people can share in instead of like you just reaching out to somebody else to, to make the pie for you and then let you have a piece of it. Our producer John always says uh, about the state of labels and stuff today and working with pavilion groups like that is that a label used to look at a band or, and, and the metaphor is uh, they used to look at a tree and say how do we turn this tree into a table and now they look for tables to figure out how can we sell this table at Walmart. <laughs> Like you have to come, you have to come and have this fully developed product and show like, look, we have the ability and capacity and the work ethic to build our own audience. Now, can you help us yeah. distribute to a broader audience? That was really nice. Um, does anybody in the audience have some questions? What question do you have? Why did you start playing music? Why did you start playing music? I started because I love it. I mean, I just was. Yeah, we all. I think we all kind of start just because something about music just attracts us, and it looks cool, and it looks fun, and we just try our hand at it, and we just kind of keep going. There's something special about music where we can talk to each other with music that we can't say with words. You might have noticed that, right? You could put hundreds of people in a room and you play a piece, not even with vocals, just instrumental music. And there will be an agreement on how it makes you feel, right? And nobody said a word. So there's something about music that can say way more than words can say. And that's the really cool thing. And we often forget, you know, with words we can say about 10% of all our feelings and senses and emotion. And that's 90% more. So th I think that's a good reason to learn it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Other questions from the audience? Um, how do each of you like individually define what success looks like for you in music? Because it's not the same industry that it was 50 years ago. And I've been on this kick where I've 
had to redefine that for myself after seeing like what an actual record label contract <laughs> looks like. Uh, just deciding what success is going to be for me. So I'm interested in what it is for you. I love that question. You and I had talked about this like a couple weekends ago, and, and I, I know where you are at with it, and I love that. Ari Herstand wrote a great book called How to Make It in the New Music Industry, and he has a blog called Ari's Take. You should all follow, ariestake.com. There's a lot of great intro principles that I've learned from that guy. But he has a, a piece about how this is the only industry that defines success by superstardom, by being in that like super tiny niche at the very top. Whereas, you know, it, <clears throat> yeah. And if you have a bakery, no one's like, well, are you. Panera bread, because if you're not, you're nothing. It's like, no, it's like I have a bakery, we sell a lot of bake, baked goods, like it's a totally fine bakery. And like that middle ground doesn't really exist in the music industry in the popular lexicon. And so I've also had to interrogate that before. Because it's like, look, are we going to turn down a Boney Bear sized platform? Of course not. Like we're after it, you know? But for I think it's really important to interrogate your own value system and be realistic about the work ethic that you want to apply and figure out where you're going to be existentially, metaphysically, spiritually fulfilled by trying to make art in your career. My template is uh, David Bazan, uh, who, if you're not familiar, if you're interested in, in, in the independent music industry, you should be following this cat. He's uh, Pater of the Lion and a couple other bands that he's done. but. Uh, he was one of the first people to ever uh, crowdsource his van. He made t-shirts and put them online that said, I helped Bazan buy a van, you bought it, he financed his own. He, was, he went from doing these huge club shows and festivals to being one of the first like, more mainstream artists who started doing living room tours. And he's just always been an innovator going, how can I, how can I make this work for me? Uh, and today, he's, he's still touring with Pedro, but I know that uh, if you went out on a normal street in America and asked 100 people, do you know who David Bazan is? No one would. It doesn't count in Fountain Square. These people know. Uh, <laughs> but the fact that he has a cultish enough following, a certain amount of people that have been able to sustain his career in such a way that he owns a home, he has a family, he has a recording studio in his house, and uh, when I met him in a living room, he said, you know, I wasn't going to be on tour this month, but we were a little behind at Bill's at the house, so I, uh, I threw this living room tour together. And I was like, can you imagine not going on tour forever and ever and ever because you don't know what you're going to do otherwise, but just being like, I'm short on money. Think I'll go on tour. Because the rest of the time, he's making enough off of those residuals and the other ways that he's monetized his craft such that he can have a, a modest and content family life where he's not worried about paying bills doing anything besides making records or playing shows. And I love teaching, and I love the side auxiliary gigs that I have, but I'd love to not have to do them, you know? And so if I can get to a Bazan level, I'll be real set. Defining success is really an, an important thing, and, and as you said, we're so, from the media, we're so pushed in this direction that the only success is if you're out there on the biggest stage all the time, which, you know, if you actually look at those careers, it's <laughs> very unhealthy. <laughs> and you might not want to do that. But so it's, it's important to realize wh what is it. You know, in, in jazz especially, the joke is, you know, how do you become a millionaire as a jazz musician? You start with two million. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we have a budding jazz musician here who still wants to do this. <laughs> no, but... but <laughs> But meaning if you're in it for the money, especially in a niche market like that, this is not going to work. So defining your values, you know, what makes you happy? How just imagining 
a day in 10 years and and that might be a great exercise for all of you thinking ah how can i you know make this just imagine what would be your ideal day to do or thing to do and mix and that's your success and striving for that and then working backwards and saying how do i get there you know how what do i have to do in 5 years now tomorrow to get there then you're successful and happy you know that's an important thing and it's not this always thinking oh, i never made it here i never made it there i mean what do you get out of life then of mm -hmm. this oh i wish i would just <laughs> today is the day you want to be happy not in 10 yeah. years <laughs> she's taking us to church loki sorry <laughs> <laughs> um, that was very inspiring <laughs> it was I'm like, am I happy today? I mean, I would be happy if it was sunny out, that's for sure. Um, so I, I had the opportunity, like, I started a business with my significant other, and it was a brand developing company, and we started about a year and a half ago, and it allows us to kind of oversee media events and booking, right? So he studied abroad in China a lot, and pretty much everywhere else around the world. And I hadn't really been exposed to the other parts of the world outside of the United States. And so he really got me thinking about how to do work that's gonna impact not only you know your natural surroundings, but like everywhere else around the world, right? And so now I have like this ambition to want to leave a mark on the world and other places outside of just, you know, the typical, you know, accessible United States. Um, so like this year we like booked our first client overseas, which was Jaden Smith and was like completely crazy and random, but because of building those relationships while he was there, he learned how to speak fluent Mandarin. And now it's like people value that asset of understanding, like not only do we know people there, but because he, he took the time to to understand that culture. And so now, a quote unquote, we have clients there, right? So like for me, like being successful is just like being able to continue to impact around the world, you know? Like, and I think that, that would make me happy is like doing work, you know, that's meaningful, doing things like this. Like, you know, we all didn't have to be here. I'm sure we all could have been busy somewhere else, but like this to me means something. So like obviously making a living doing what I do, but you know, taking the time to actually say like, how did, being present in that moment like affect other people and how can people walk away with memories and information and so that to me is like what I would define as success. Uh, for me, uh, and I'll, I'll be quick because I know we had a couple other people that, that, that raised their hands. Uh, I kind of just, just break it down to like just, just a, a hard number. So I know if I hit that number, then, I'm, then I've, I've, I've achieved success or if I'm below that number, I haven't. So I know that, okay, I need to make a living for myself and my family. I wanna be able to save and I wanna be able to invest. So what number do I need to have to do all those things? And then, then from that, once I have that number, then I start figuring out like what different things I can do with my music to get to that number. And like, I just like literally measure my success that way, you know, just to simplify it. Cause, cause I also have like things like, oh, I wanna inspire people and I wanna, make people happy with my music and stuff like that. So I, I have things like that that I want to do, but but to kind of keep it measurable, I just just simplify it to a number that I need to hit. Quick question. I have done the whole band thing before, a long time ago, and now I'm doing it again. Um, when I did it the first time 
deal with everything. You aimed at getting A&R people to your shows, you aimed at getting a record contract. Um, with the advent of technology and the internet, does that still hold that same sacred place in musicians? What kind of, what kind of music is, do you play? What kind of band is it? Kind of indie rock, pop. Okay, then no. It doesn't. It means nothing now. A and R is no, A and R is nothing today. It's all about can can you create the organic groundswell around your music on the merits of your art and your work ethic. All the all the cool things that have happened to us in the last several years, being in an indie rock band, have happened because we were on tour, consistently, putting ourselves in front of new audiences and networking our asses off. And people who uh, the. A&R concept still exists. There are still people who have that title, but they're working in the world of billboard pop music, which is uh, it's almost a completely, it's almost a different industry. It works completely differently from being in an indie rock band or I'm sure like an indie hip hop band or, or anything else yeah. like that. Going back to the, the table analogy, like nobody who has big money to put behind artists is going to do it because you're good at music. They don't care. They don't care. They want to see that you have the ability to to create a market for yourself, to find, to call through all those genres and styles and nuances and say, we found our audience. It's this many people. But you look at so many of the bands that, um, I'm trying to think of a good example right off the top of my head, but like, there's a lot of bands that you've heard of that don't have, they're not on those labels and stuff anymore because the, the, the label, the, the whole label industry has shifted so much. And there are other people who you could work with more in the realms of digital marketing, sync licensing, that kind of thing, where it's like that, you're going to get a lot more bang for your buck as far as connecting with, with those people than uh, a label. I always, I grew up wanting to sign to a label. It was the dream. And then this last year, we made our best record we've ever made. We pitched it to 100 labels. Two people said no. Everyone else ignored it. And then I was like, all right, well. I know, I know we're not bad, <laughs> but I'm just going to keep doing what we're doing. And after that experience, we decided we're actually not going to actively pitch to labels anymore. We're going to just work on our one-to-one -one connection with fans, which uh, Monica was talking about earlier, which is like finding the, the, the people, those raving fans who will buy everything that you put out. And you can build, if you have a thousand of those people, that's pretty much going to keep you coasting through, I think. Yeah. <clears throat> so... There's two ways you have to imagine how this industry has changed probably from when you were there, you know, and I was there too. I'm from the old guard and, <laughs> and the new guard, so I, I've seen a change. And there's, there's two crucial ways. One is it used to be that artist is here, you make a product, you sell the product, ideally to a label or something, and from there everything will go out to where it needs to go to the buyers to the promoters and everything else so artist was like over here label in the middle taking care of everything in this so the way this has changed is that the artist became the middle driver and then driving everything else directly so this thing in between has gone away so there's no need to look for it <laughs> you, you'll be the driver and that doesn't mean you don't find a label but then you'll be the driver of how much do you want to give to it to do here how much do you touring so that's change big change number one 
big change number two is that everything used to be you record, you put it out, sell a lot of it, and then based on that, you know, get some other opportunities. And now it's you go out, you play a lot <laughs> as much as you can, and then in order to supplement or actually get those playing opportunities, you record some things and put that in a mix and use it as your business card or some other ways. So those are the ways, the two big ways you have to imagine this whole ecosystem differently. The great thing about the, the flip side of the coin of the, this becoming an oversaturated market because anyone can do it, 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 the good part of that is it's become democratized. Because you used to want to get signed to a label so you could get money to make a record and you could have connections to distribute it. But today, you can launch a Kickstarter and what we, we raised, we actually just raised $6,000, all small dollar donations, grassroots stuff from our fans to buy a van because we didn't we didn't have one anymore and that worked we didn't need to get some sort of corporate subsidiary or anything like that we asked because we've spent all this time growing the audience that we have and then we said hey is there enough people out there that'll give us the five bucks or whatever and sure enough it happened right so you can you can there's other ways to get the money to make your product and then you can go on CD Baby and do the entire distribution deal that a label used to run for you in about two hours design the whole product get physical things shipped to your house. You know, it's, if you save $2,000, you can have a ton of records. That's, you know, that's a product with a 90% profit margin every time you sell a CD, so. Just don't use Pledge Music. <laughs> 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 it's, a, it's a crowdfund, some of these crowdfunding uh, platforms are actually struggling too, yes. and, yeah. and this is one that just went belly up. This and, is they and shuttered recently. And mm. unfortunately, you know, the artist is the one who suffers again because yeah. they were like, well, we can't pay you back, so well, be careful with those two. We used GoFundMe for this last one, and uh, we've used Kickstarter before in the past too, which is nice because it has the name recognition, but they take a bigger cut. All right, I think we've got time for one more question, if you still got it. question is, why do you want to be in a band? That's a deep existential question. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. I was like... <laughs> I, I have a great example for you. Glutton's for punishment. When I, when I first started, you know, I learned to play piano. And as a piano player, it's kind of a lonely business because you always sit by yourself in a room and play for yourself. And even if you do concerts or something, you play by yourself. And then I got in this band and I was in high school and there was a jazz group and I thought it was the coolest thing because you could actually make music with other people. And in that band, there was a really cute bass player. And <laughs> And <laughs> and they kept threatening me that if I, you know, they will replace me with this other guy who knows way more about jazz when they really go gig, which I didn't want to do. So I learned really hard. <laughs> and you know, and you know what happened? So the bass player actually paid attention, and you know, we are married since. <laughs> <laughs> Now I have to even count. <laughs> 20, 
we are 27 years married and have two kids that are in college. <laughs> Hard work pays off. <laughs> and if you come Friday the 24th to the jazz kitchen, you'll see him in action and see how cute he is. <laughs> all right, I'll shut up. That's great. Best story I've heard all week. <laughs> I think with, uh, with my band, we decided to come together just there was just different things that we were trying to do uh, separately as individuals. And we got the idea if we worked together, we could get a lot more done. So just just the idea of like just uh, just having having multiple people helping you do something becomes a lot easier, you know. So it was practical for us. <laughs> I was just looking for a, a way to wear this jacket. <laughs> I want to thank our panelists, Monica Herzig, Lex Nicole, Brandon Meeks, Joshua. Uh, we've got contact sheets uh, and a, a few recommendations for everybody interested in maybe looking for any resources to keep up with the music business, like some podcasts and stuff like that. So there's sheets on the chairs for anybody in the back, and there might be a few still left in the back. So anyways, thank you all for attending. I'm sure, you know, as we kind of exit the stage, you know, if you have any other questions for any of these guys one-on-one, -on -one, I'm sure they'd be happy to to chat with you. So thank you guys. Yeah. Thank you, Amy. <laughs> Amy Crook, everybody. Yes, Amy, Amy Cook. <laughs>